Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Red Sea Roundup. I am your host today, Judy Como. So happy to be here, as always, here in our wonderful studio at St. Mary's Catholic Center. And you're listening locally here to KEDC 88.5, Bryan College Station, KYAR 98.3 FM, Waco Central, Texas, and shout out to our friends in Palestine, who I got to go to the beautiful city of Palestine this past weekend, listening 107.9 FM. I'm here in the studio with lots of things going on with our station manager, Thaddeus Romanski. Good morning, Thaddeus. How are you? Good morning, Judy. It's been an ongoing joke that we try to kind of sound like good morning Vietnam, but not, and then don't laugh about it, but do. And I can't help myself. It's okay. Just jump back. Kiss yourself. James Brown. <laughs> 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 Gotta get it on the good foot. Okay, no, I'll stop. And also joining us to. at the <laughs> controls this morning, Dennis Maka. Good morning. Wave to all of our listeners. How you doing? He is multitasking to the Blowing max and this going. morning, listening to the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast. Uh, really blessed to listen to that on my ride in this morning. And we're also would like to introduce our listeners to Anna. Anna. <laughs> You're gonna, you, would, you didn't want me to be stuck out there. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I did. <laughs> I wasn't sure. It's quite <laughs> all right. In our organized chaos, Anna Villalobos. How's that? Yes, ma'am. Uh, good. She is our intern this semester. You want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how'd you come to be a part of our studio here? Good morning. <laughs> I'm a junior journalism major at Texas A&M University, Whoop. and I came to Red Sea because I went to the benefit dinner last year. I met Thaddeus and um, was instantly uh, very caught by the beauty of Catholic radio and that way of evangelization. I always grew up with Catholic radio as a big part of my home um, and in my learning about the faith. And I knew instantly with uh, my hope to have a journalism future that radio production was something that would definitely be an interest for me. So I kept a pretty good business relationship with Thaddeus and finally an internship worked out. Wonderful. Well, thank so you, you so much. So you heard it here first, folks. You may in five years, maybe sooner, could be. Anna Villalobos on EWTN, World Over Reporting. Who knows? Started right. here. Who From knows? your lips to God's ears, my friend. I think it's fascinating. I was uh, talking with Robin Waters, our station manager over in Waco, about we've got upcoming benefits and doing everything that we can to promote. And you are been a part of Catholic Radio, you said, for, for many years. Well, that was not my experience. And when Dennis and Darby and... Et all had the vision for the station and they would come to parishes and talk about it. And I had 
recently discovered praise and worship music as a part of my faith life. Uh, I'm a musician, and so he was talking about a radio station. I'm like, great, I love Catholic music. I love Christian music. And it was like, no, this this is a little different. So my experience in falling in love with the opportunity to just learn every minute of every day to be a part of uh, Catholic radio. So welcome. Thank you for your mission and your willingness to be our slave here. (laughs) Thank you. I'm excited. (laughs) Great, great. Well, we've got lots of things to cover in this short, short time before our guest. I want to let all of our listeners know that today I'll be talking to Malachi Fallon with the Xavier Center for the Blind. Um, Excellent. We love to be reached out to and say, hey, we're out here. Saw you on Twitter, I think, is how they... Do you recall how she reached out to you? I'm not. I'm not remembering how. If it was through through email or maybe she did see us on Twitter. Twitter, and yes. then uh, maybe sent an email mm-hmm. to further so, the conversation. Uh, really yeah. looking forward to that. This uh, society supplies uh, lots of resources for the uh, blind and sight impaired and uh, super guy Malachi that we'll be talking to in a little while. Yeah, we're doing the, they're, they're doing the corporal and spiritual works of mercy there and in, in, in that ministry is really beautiful. It is, it is. So stick with us on the, after the break. Today kicks off 40 Days for Life prayer vigils all over the world. Yes, indeed. All over the world, um, here locally in Bryant College Station. And in Waco. And in Waco, I want to shout out to Patricia Hefty, the coordinator here locally. And the vigil takes place um, across from the entrance to Texas A&M on the east sidewalk of Texas Avenue. Um, you can go to 40 Days for Life to still sign up. Yep, still it's get just hours. getting started. We need to fill in that calendar to have a prayerful prayer presence. Lots of peace. That's alliteration. Yeah. Is it? Is it, it is. alliteration? It okay. is. That's the right term. Okay. That's the correct term. <laughs> I'm just... Peaceful prayer presence. Yeah. Say that 40 times. Every day from <laughs> September the 23rd through <laughs> November the 1st. But uh, especially tonight, they have a um, kickoff rally at that location starting at 6 p.m. Uh, Dr. Haywood Robinson will be speaking along with the testimony from Rachel Hackman, a young woman that was changed and transformed by the restoring power of Jesus Christ, and we'll have a candlelight prayer time to honor those precious children who have been lost children's. <laughs> that's not alliteration. Is that some Cajun in your mouth? <laughs> I have not crossed the Sabine River lately to pick up on that, but uh, children who have been lost to abortion. <laughs> children's. <laughs> Okay. Oh, okay, that's all right. Okay, want to mention a shout out to St. Padre Pio. Today is his feast day. A particular um, St. Padre Pio has been a part of oh, my oh, life for a long we, time. I'm, did, you give, did you give love to Anya Fitzgerald up in Oh, up sorry, in Waco? sorry. You did tell me that at three seconds before yeah. the show started. Say, I don't some, know how I didn't listen, remember that. I, sometimes stuff comes across my desk late or comes across my mind late. Sometimes y'all hear things the same time I do, so it's okay. Okay. And Anna Fitzgerald is the coordinator. I just didn't know that. I felt like you were kind of coming at me there a little bit with no, that. Okay, no, okay, was, cool. 
I was uniting myself in what we do and how we do it and how we keep all these balls up in the hey, air. There are a lot. We're juggling a lot of we're we're juggling balls. Woohoo! Figuratively, folks. Got it. Literally. Got it. So she's the coordinator for the Forty Days for Life over there in Waco. Yes. Right? Yes. Waco, 40 Days for Life also kicking off. Like you said, all around the world, all around the world, people are joining in that prayerful, peaceful presence to end the scourge of abortion. Yes. So unite. Unite with them in prayer wherever and whenever you are. So yet again, our saint of the week. Today, we're going to talk about St. Padre Pio, Mm. St. Pio of Petrosini. Mm -hmm. I was introduced to him um, probably in middle school. My great aunt, I'd like to pray for her soul, Adeline Ristino, was a devotee. She had traveled to Rome to meet him. He heard her confession, and she had a, a gold amulet that had a part of the wrapping that covered his stigmata Mm. that she wore around her neck. She was a huge devotee. Incredible. And uh, this morning while I was gathering information, uh, so much to learn about our saints that we just can't know the depth of that. But I, I actually saw a video of his last mass in 1968. Really? Is available. Lots of, uh, Information, his last mass I noticed was post-Vatican II, so the altar had been Mm -hmm. changed around and all of that. St. Pia was born May 25th, 1887 in Petrosina, southern Italy. He was tutored privately until his entry into the novitiate of the Kapchinskin, (laughs) I'm really having a tough time. Capuchin? That friars. <laughs> <laughs> he uh. was ordained in having a hard time reading. On September twentieth, he was ordained in nineteen ten. Nineteen eighteen is when he received the stigmata, which is the wounds of Christ. He's the only first priest to receive the blessing of stigmata. That's right, because St. Francis of Assisi was a was a deacon, right? Correct. He wasn't he wasn't a priest. Uh he received the fine five wounds of the Lord's passion, appeared on his body, making him, as I said, the first priest in the history of the Catholic Church. Gosh, I didn't realize he had the stigmata for that many years. Yes. I I mean there were times that he was physically weak. Because of the blood, and he shed his own blood for that long. Uh, Countless people were attracted to his confessional, and he had the ability to know your heart. So Mm -hmm. you'd be, he would say, come back in a little while when you're ready to fully confess. And uh, the video that I watched this morning also mentioned that although hundreds, sometimes thousands of people flocked to see him, The souls in purgatory visited him in multitudes and cried out for him to pray for him. And he always encouraged everyone. So I think it's so fitting that his feast day is now as we approach November, the time when we honor the Holy Soul so much. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, we ask for his intercession, St. Padre Pio. Pray for us. Pray for us today. 
A couple of things going on locally. St. Anthony's Catholic Church here in Brine is having their virtual bazaar coming up on October the 25th. We will be located in the Parish Activity Center parking lot. You can drive through barbecue plates, wine and dine. We'll have a virtual auction, live auction, and virtual silent auction. Check out St. Anthony's website. Lots of information. We, the, it's very interesting. Our uh, online auction will be much different. Can't see it. You say it. Go, go, go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Didn't mean to cut you off. Well, it's quite all right. It's quite all right. So you can uh, check out St. Anthony's Bulletin and website for more information. It's still a month away, but we really want to get the word out. Yeah, and speaking of of uh, festivities and fun activities to attend, we've got a, about two minutes left in this segment before we go to talk to uh, Malachi about the Xavier Society for the Blind. But we wouldn't want to forget to mention that October 8th, KYAR Benefit Dinner at the Rumi West KC Hall. It's not at Sacred Heart this year, folks. We're at a bigger venue, West KC Hall. We're going to put you at nine-foot tables, uh, spacing, spent, yep. plenty of social distancing in between, in between seats at the table and between the tables themselves. Dr. Michael Foley, Baylor Professor of Patristics, is going to be speaking to us about how to drink like a saint in five easy steps. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then a little over a month later, the KEDC benefit this year, November 12th at the Brazos Center. That's on Briarcrest Drive, not the Expo Center, but the Brazos Center. We're not at St. Thomas Aquinas. Same reason. Bigger venue. We want to spread you out. We're going to put five people per six 60-inch table, nine feet between tables. We're going to have all the necessary social distancing protocols in place to make it a safe, fun event. Dr. Foley is going to come down again and give the same lesson to our Brazos Valley crowd. So go to redsearadio.org and register for that benefit here in November. Waco sold out. It's going to be a big time, large time. Don't miss it. Yes. And as Anna said earlier, the reason she's here working as an intern is through the benefit of Catholic Radio. And those of us who are in love with Catholic Radio need to keep it up. And we need your help in their fundraising. And come and help us. We'll see you after the break. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. If you're just joining us, good for you because we have a dynamite interview coming up. Uh, I'm your host, Judy Como. I want to welcome all of our listeners all across Central Texas and uh, remind you that this is a live program today and you could call in with a question or a comment 
Dial 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. We want to welcome to the show Maliki Fallon. He is the Executive Director of the Xavier Society for the Blind. Good morning, Maliki. Good morning, Judy. How's it going over there in New York, New York? It's, you know, it's a beautiful day here in, in New York City. So uh, things are returning to normal here after the, the shutdown. So uh, things are going well. Thank you. Great. Well, um, catch us up on introduce yourself as the executive director and tell our listeners all about the Xavier Society for the Blind. Sure, sure. So I joined Xavier Society of, for the Blind uh, just four years ago, actually, last week was my fourth anniversary um, as executive director. Um, Xavier Society for the Blind has existed since 1900, so we're we're in our 120th year, uh, which is hard to believe for any small uh, nonprofit, religiously affiliated organization yes. in New York City that we've had such a, a, a long and a wonderful history. Um, our, our, our tagline is delivering faith and inspiration in Braille and audio and serving God and the blind since 1900. Um, and briefly, our mission statement is to, provi- to provide the word of God and the best of Roman Catholic teaching and literature, spiritual and inspirational material to blind or visually impaired persons of any faith. Uh, in whatever format best meets their needs. And we do that at no charge, uh, and we continue to explore new new ways to make that material more accessible and available to the widest possible audience of those in need. So uh, it's one of the reasons why I'm just so happy for this opportunity to, to let folks in Central Texas know that we're still here um, providing materials, reading materials in Braille and audio uh, after uh, 120 years. Great. So <clears throat> I assume you've had publications uh, from the very beginning uh, that are repeatable. And um, how would, uh, when do you decide another publication is, and how do you do that? Let's just say, uh, Trent Horn's book, Why We're Catholic, we want to make that available through your society. Take us through the process of how to make that happen. Sure. So typically, um, you know, we will receive requests from our patrons. So we serve about 2,500 patrons. We consider it to be active patrons, meaning that they're requesting materials from us on a fairly regular basis. And about 80 of those uh, active patrons are located in the great state of Texas. Uh, So typically we'll we'll get a request from an individual patron or we'll come across uh, something that's been recently published that we think will be of interest to, you know, a uh, wider audience of our patrons. And and we also, you know, we refer to a number of organizations – uh, for our picks, because we do have limited resources, so unfortunately we can't uh, produce everything that everyone wants in Braille and audio. So we'll refer to organizations like the Association of Catholic Publishers, 
the Catholic Book Club, the Jesuit Book Club, the Catholic Press Association, um, you know, to, to see uh, what some of the more popular uh, titles are and what some of the more, uh, what some of the award-winning titles are as well. Um, and then just kind of backing up a little bit, you know, with our history, we, we started out originally, we were co-founded by a blind woman, Margaret Coffey, uh, and she was a teacher of blind children, and she worked with uh, Father Joseph Stottleman, a Jesuit priest here in New York City. And Margaret realized that a lot of the children that she was teaching who were blind just didn't have the same books, didn't have access to the books that a lot of their sighted classmates had in their religious education classes as they were learning about their Catholic faith. Uh, so she wanted to do something about that. And when, when I started, I went back in our history and I came up with a, a quote that's been documented from Margaret. And it, it's been said that she had prayed for years and years that, quote, God would inspire someone to take pity on the Catholic blind of the country for whom there was no Catholic book uh, to be had. So she really wanted to do something about that. So uh, when we started, we were really started to produce books uh, in what was then called New York Point. It's raised print, uh, one of the precursors to Braille. Um, so we were producing books uh, for young children learning learning about their Catholic faith. And the first book that we uh, produced uh, in any sort of volume was the Baltimore Catechism. <laughs> Wonderful. So that's, 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 that's a good starting point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we continue to do that. Um, you know, just this summer, uh, uh, this summer, you know, we continue to get requests uh, from a lot of teachers and uh, CCD teachers and people who are working in, in different parishes asking us to provide books in Braille for uh, blind children or visually impaired children who are learning about their their Catholic faith, um, and and some examples, you know, we've of the, some of the titles we've done recently. God loves us, uh, which is a kindergarten title. Uh, the Eucharist, uh, we give thanks and praise for children preparing for their first, first communion. communion. Uh -huh. Yeah, uh, confirmation, gifted with the Spirit. So, you know, we still uh, remain close to our original mission uh, by providing books in Braille uh, for young children who are learning about their Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. And where are the books produced? Are they, I mean, actually produced and transcribed or trans moved into Braille? So uh, most of the books that we do that are uh, individual requests Although you know we'll often produce you know more than one copy of, of a book, oh. but those books are produced here uh, in our offices. So we have a certified Braille transcriber on staff here, and we have uh, what's called embossing machines. I, I I was corrected many 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 times <laughs> when I first started. I referred to printing uh, Braille. We don't print Braille. We emboss awesome. Braille. Uh, so we'll emboss uh, those books here. And then they're delivered, uh, you know, mailed out from here uh, to our clients across the country. Um, and then we also produce the mass propers in Braille, so the the, the missalette, mm -hmm. um, and we send those out to uh, it's about 800 people uh, across the country and uh, in 20 countries outside the United States as well. 
And because that's such a large volume of Braille, um, I did a back-of-the-envelope calculation, and that's about 750,000 pages of Braille each year. Because that's such a large volume of Braille, uh, we outsource that for production and distribution uh, to the National Braille Press uh, up in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure since its inception uh, in 1900, uh, things have morphed and changed and grown and all of that. And as you're saying, the missalette, that's something that changes from year to year. So you're not able to just simply archive those and then have another production. So you have to continually change that from year to year. That's right. That's right. So the, the mass propers, the missalette is a good example of that because there's there can be changes uh, depending upon the the, the cycle. Um, another good example, you know, we just produced this summer um, the Abbey uh, Psalms and Canticles. So it's part of the Liturgy of the Hours. And it mm-hmm. was recently updated by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. So we were able to get permission from the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops to produce the updated version of uh, the Abbey Psalms and Canticles in Braille. Um, and we did we did that just recently, and it, it's interesting. We ju- I was just looking at a statistic just to see uh, what sort of uh, demand we've had for that, and we just did that this past month. Already, you know, we've gotten uh, requests from eight different people, and it's interesting. So that the Abbey, the the Psalms and Canticles is actually in four volumes of Braille. Um, so we sent out 32 volumes of Braille to those eight people. And that amounted to um, 4,900 4, pages of Braille. Wow. So oftentimes the, the, um, the, the, uh, the, the Braille version is much longer and much bigger than your typical print version. Right, yes. Um, <clears throat> um, as my husband is in diaconate formation and we have made Liturgy of the Hours a part of our prayer life, um, through that, and there's four big volumes of the written, so I can imagine them being um, much bigger and much um, more difficult to reproduce. And uh, so, um, along with the Braille, you also have some uh, audio versions of things also, correct? That's right. That's right. So we we have about... Uh, in our catalog, roughly 900 titles in Braille and 900 titles uh, in audio. Um, so, we, you know, we have a lot in our catalog, we have a lot of the, you know, what people would consider sort of the, the Catholic classics. Um, but we do, you know, a lot more, you know, ranging from the Bible to biographies of saints. Uh, on occasion, we'll be asked for a theological dissertation. Uh, and then we also do uh, quite a lot of contemporary uh, titles by popular authors. Um, so, produce more books, both in Braille and audio, um, by contemporary authors um, that we think will be more popular with with more people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, as you mentioned on the audio. Um, Interestingly, we just, I guess it was last year, we started um, a project to transition our audio books to a new format, uh, 
previously our, our um, or you know most recently before this change, our audio books were available on DVDs or CDs. Um, and we transitioned over the last year to what's referred to as the digital talking book format. Uh, and what that does is it allows our books that are now provided on small cartridges to be played on talking book machines that are provided free of charge by the National Library Service for the blind and print disabled. Um, and it's been estimated that there are about a half a million people in the United States that have these talking book machines. So we figured that by providing, making our content available in a compatible format, we'd be able to reach even you know, uh, a greater numbers of people across the United States. I see. I, w- I want to remind our listeners that this is a live program. Uh, we're talking with Malachi Fallon with the Xavier Society for the Blind, and uh, we'd love for you to call in with a comment or a question, and you can do that at 855-683-7332. Um, so, Malachi, tell me how you became... Uh, aware that this uh, society even existed and uh, how you became involved as the executive director. How to, sure. I love a story. Okay, well, <laughs> great. So I had a long, uh, so I was born and raised here in New York City um, and I had a long career in the corporate sector. sector rather. I worked for uh, Standard & Poor's, uh, a large corporation, uh, part of that time here in New York and part of that time, matter of fact, down in Texas in the Dallas area. We were down, my wife and I and our children were down there for about 15 years. Um, when I, I came back to New York um, with S&P in 2009, and, uh, you know, at that time I'd spent, uh, you know, a good you know, 25 years or so. I Finally, uh, I had spent... 31 years with with S&P, um, and much of that time I had worked with nonprofit organizations, um, just uh, doing what we did with S&P, but working in the nonprofit sector. And I'd always admired uh, people's passion and and enthusiasm for the work that they were doing in the nonprofit sector. And I, you know, I, I thought to myself every once in a while, I said, you know. When my career at S&P is complete uh, or near completion, and before I get too old to do anything else, I have to figure out a way where I can transition into uh, the nonprofit sector. So I decided my last year uh, at S&P, I became aware of a program at my alma mater, uh, Fordham University here in New York City. Uh, Fordham refers to itself as the Jesuit University of of New York City, um, became, I became aware of a master's program in nonprofit leadership. Um, so I decided to enroll um, to see, you know, how what I knew and what I needed to learn, um, and if I was, you know, thinking along uh, the the you know the the right lines in terms of thinking what I wanted to do in the future. And mm. I really enjoyed the program. I learned. Just you know, a, a tremendous amount of things about the nonprofit sector. Um, and, and as I was graduating, or shortly after I graduated, I became aware of a position at this position at Xavier Society, and I was told that the uh, 
organization was looking for uh, someone with a, a business background, but someone who also understood the nonprofit sector uh, and was familiar with the, the Jesuit ethos. And Xavier Society has long been considered a, a Jesuit apostolate. And for most of our history, um, the executive directors and or chair uh, well, presidents of the board of directors have been Jesuit priests. So they were looking for someone, again, business background, familiarity with nonprofits, but also familiarity with uh, the Jesuits and the, the Catholic community. So here I was graduating with a degree in nonprofit leadership, and it was actually my third degree from a Jesuit university. Uh, so um, there was some sort of divine uh, intervention, I think, at that point. So I started here, uh, uh, just as I said earlier, just about four years ago. I see. Um, since its inception in 1900, it's always been uh, located there in New York. How, tell me about some of the changes that has taken place um, since the beginning when uh, Margaret Coffey and Father Joseph um, helped establish the society. What's some of the hurdles and some of the shining moments within the last 120 years of the society? Sure, sure. So we started on 16th Street, um, and we were using space uh, that was lent to us by what was then known as Xavier College, is now Xavier High School. And Xavier High School is still on 16th Street, just off of Fifth Avenue uh, in New York City. Um, and actually, the parish of St. Francis Xavier uh, is right next door as well. So that's where we that's where we took our name was from that location and the association with those two, uh, with that school and the church. Uh, so we sort of in our early years had bounced around a little bit, and then um, I guess it was back in the 1940s purchased a building on 23rd Street here in New York City, um, and we really did everything. Uh, out of that building, uh, from what I was told. So we had recording studios, we had Braille production uh, machines, uh, you know, we had the administrative functions run out of that building. Um, so that was really, uh, that then became our home uh, until just a few years ago. Uh, but part of the problem with having a building like that, an old building in New York City, oftentimes uh, the building itself uh, takes up more of uh, financial resources than uh, the mission does, which is not a good thing. So our board a few years ago decided to restructure a bit. We sold the building um, and then downsized and refocused our efforts um, on, on Braille production, on a limited amount of Braille production and audiobook production. Um, and we still, as we did then, uh, we still rely on, as far as the audiobook production, we still rely on volunteers uh, for that. And now we work, rather than having our own studios, we work with freelance audio engineers uh, to help ensure high quality of production uh, for our audiobooks. Um, but I think that to answer your question further, in terms of some of the challenges, I think it's like any other small nonprofit. Um, you know, it's fundraising. It's always fundraising. No money, no mission. Um, <laughs> and that, that became a concern for the organization, you know, given the, the resources that were going into the, the building and facilities. 
And I, I think the other issue that faces, you know, any organization is just changes in technology over right. time. So we started with uh, New York uh, Point was the raised print. Uh, it's interesting, you know, going back to Margaret Coffey, uh, not only was she our founder and had the vision for the organization and saw the need for the organization, but she was one of our first major donors. Um, she contributed $350 uh, in the early years to purchase uh, what, what's called the stereograph machine, which allowed Xavier Society to print raised textbooks in higher volumes. Um, and uh, again, one of my back to given my my finance background, one of my back of the envelope calculations was that that $350 back then would be the equivalent of about $11,000 in today's money. So it was quite a contribution and a, and a sacrifice for uh, a young blind woman uh, in New York City at that time. Um, but th so keeping up with technology and production techniques and, you know, as far as our audio books go, you know, go moving from talking books, which were originally, you know, vinyl records to reel-to-reel to... -reel to uh, cassette tapes to uh, CDs and DVDs and now to the digital talking book format, um, just keeping up with all the advances in production and technology, um, you know, is always a challenge as well. <laughs> Malachi, this is Thaddeus Romanski, the, the general manager, uh, said hello to you in the break. And yeah. This may this question may be a little bit far afield, but uh, I wanted to ask anyway because you know you mentioned that you're in New York City, and that the society's been in operation for 120 years now, and it's the Xavier Society for the Blind. That's who we're speaking to this morning, folks. And it just the, those things just made me think about um, St. Francis Xavier Cabrini being there in uh, New York. Any connection between the those early days of the society and her missionary work there in in Manhattan? So uh, no. Okay. Darn. <laughs> so so Saint so Francis Xavier was the you know the the Jesuit missionary. Right. He was right. The, yeah. The, the, uh, the that's who the parish was named for and the church correct, was named correct. for on Sixteenth Street. So unfortunately, as far as I know, I'd, I'd like to come up with a great story for you. Uh, you know, yeah, um, I was, I was digging for gold far. there. I hope there. I was hoping yeah, there yeah, might yeah, be yeah, some yeah. neat connection there, but uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's too bad. Oh. That's too bad. And um, do you 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 know you talked about earlier that that sense of divine um, divine intervention, intervention maybe leading you yeah. to to work with the the Xavier Society, and I was it also struck me that I think one of the things that you guys do, what's so beautiful about the work that you do, is it, that makes it such an act of charity is we're not talking about millions of patrons that you're serving. I mean, you, you guys are dedicating all sorts of time and resources and thought to, you know, you said what, 800 patrons who use your uh, mass materials, I think is something is, was, was one number that you gave. And so that's right. you're just, that's right. You're, you're, I, I love the, I actually love the fact that it, it is a relatively small population that you're serving in terms of, you know, compared to other nonprofits. 
but yet you're giving them such high quality uh, attention and personalized attention in terms of taking requests from them for books that they that they want. I mean, that's just I really want to compliment you about that. And what a great what a something what a great organization to get involved and support for that reason. Well, thank you, Thaddeus. You know, and it, that's interesting um, because when I first started, and again because I had a, you know a business background. Um, Really, I was like, well, is this the best business model for us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, someone can request an, a relatively obscure title, and we'll spend, you know, if it's a Braille book, we'll spend upwards of $1,500 to produce that book. You know, does that make sense? Should we really look um, to produce books that we think, uh, you know, would be more appealing to more people? And I kind of use the example. I said, you know, is it better to um, produce, uh, you know, one title for one person um, or uh, produce, you know, one book that, that would be potentially appealing to 300 people, right? Right. Um, or, or try to do 300 books for 300 people, right? It's from a, a business model perspective. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but to your point, the the more... I became familiar with the organization, the history, the patrons, the staff, our board of directors. It's like, no, you know, this is what we do. We have people here that are uh, that that we serve that are blind or you know visually impaired. Um, they deal with enough isolation um, and enough challenges in their life. So, if there's something that we can do um, to help them and provide, uh, even if it seems to be, you know. Uh, an unusual or esoteric title, you know, let's do that. Yeah. Uh, Malachi, as we were talking yesterday and uh, planning out this interview, I I shared with you that my great-grandfather was blinded later in life. And um, this is in the 60s. So he had what would now be referred to as a man cave with the little couple of reel-to-reel tape decks and a sound system and a mixing board, and he would either get a uh, a reel to reel, no lava lamp. Okay. He, he had some really cool sound <laughs> effects things though. He had like a a pot lid suspended, and he would act like he was spitting tobacco and thing <laughs> and different things yeah. like that. So as a eight year old, that was pretty impressive. And he'd get a letter from a friend via reel to reel. And we'd sit there like I am right now with headphones and listen to it. And then we would talk a letter back to them. But he had um, 78 RPM books. He had mm-hmm. Braille. And um, is there? he maybe even had like a typewriter that typed out Braille. I'm not really sure about mm-hmm. that part of it. But yep. some things that you're talking about here uh, 60 years later are still the same, but at the same time, technology is continuing to move forward, and you're able to provide these things for those. So let's talk a little bit about how people can contact you for a need or a, when a parish needs to decide, oh, we have a impaired person. How do they contact you to get some of the things that you're producing, and also how could uh, 
you gather your fundraising. How does that tell us a little bit about that part of it, too? We sure, being a sure. nonprofit organization also, I'm sure, sure we'll speak sure. the same language in a lot of things. Right, right. So we want to make it as easy as possible for people either to request materials uh, from us, uh, get information from us, or to donate money to us. Uh, so probably the easiest way people are interested in finding out what we do and how they can register and, and begin to receive materials from us is to call our 800 number. And that's uh, 800-637-9193. Again, 800-637-9193. You can also go to our website, uh, XavierSocietyForTheBlind.org, and we're we're always updating that in terms of... uh, new releases and uh, news about our clients. We have some wonderful, wonderful client stories about how we serve people and their their personal stories that are on the website there, as well as our history and some of the things that, that we spoke about uh, this morning. Uh, and then we're also on social media, Twitter and Facebook, at Xavier Society. Uh, that's for both Twitter and Facebook. And that's updated, you know, our feeds and our Facebook page is updated, you know, almost daily in terms of um, any new books that we've produced or what's popular and what's trending and things like that in terms of our our patrons that we serve. Um, so those are the, the best ways to find out about, more about Savior Society. Uh, and they're also, uh, you can also donate uh, either over the phone or or online or get our address off the internet. Uh, we're at uh, 248 West 35th Street here in New York. If you if uh, if someone would like to to send a check in, but we do <laughs> we do rely on we do rely on individual donors, and we also have quite a number of small family foundations. Um, you know, with the a Catholic affiliation or a Catholic affinity or, uh, you know, an affinity for blind uh, organizations or organizations that serve the blind and visually impaired. So we rely on individual donations as well as uh, smaller family foundations for a good part of our funding. Uh, Malachi, Thaddeus again. I um, wanted to, you were talking about personal stories, and I wanted to share kind of two personal uh, stories that our apostolate has with the the blind community. Um, one, we have a gentleman, Brandon Bunch, uh, who contacts us sometimes. And so, Brandon, if you're listening this morning, I hope that you're enjoying this program. And if you don't know about the Xavier Society, I hope that you're. Um, you've learned a new resource for Catholic faith materials. And then our first station director for our Waco station was a visually impaired young woman and incredible uh, lady. She could actually run a mixer board and do on-air audio production. Um, Just phenomenal woman Uh, played, played in the, in the band at, at Baylor, University, uh, remarkable young lady, and she now she's pursuing a teaching career. Yeah, um, shout but, out to Stephanie. Yeah, so Lee. Stephanie Lee, uh, if you're listening <clears throat> or you're going to catch this later, we hope you're enjoying this too. So, so really, really neat stuff. 
Yeah, and and we have, you know, uh, as I said, we have some great uh, patron stories on our website. And, uh, and, you know, we'll talk about uh, those stories and those individuals in our monthly newsletter as well, so people can sign up for our newsletter if they're interested. And I I just heard about uh, a young woman. She's actually up in in Iowa. Um, Kristen uh, is her name. And she she had written to us, or she was telling um, our client services uh, manager that, you know, she grew up Catholic, um, but she never really felt part of her faith. And, and she's blind, and she's been reading Braille since she was a young girl. Um, and she used, to, she used to participate, you know, in Mass occasionally with her grandmother, who was a devout Catholic. Um, and she, after her grandmother passed a, a couple of years ago, she began to attend Mass more regularly. But she said even, even though she was doing that, she, she really felt disconnected. Um, because she didn't have the mass propers in Braille. You know, she wasn't able to follow along with the readings and the prayers and the responses. And she just became a client of ours or patron of ours this past summer. And she was just saying that she just feels so much more connected, um, you know, in the world of prayer and with her, you know, her local Catholic community, her parish. Um, so, you know, she was saying that, that you know, even though her grand, her grandmother has passed, that she still feels that she's, you know, looking down on her from heaven and is, you know, hopefully pleased that she's rediscovered mm-hmm. uh, her Catholic faith. And, and she attributes part of that to um, the materials that she's been receiving from Xavier Society. Oh, I know that that's, um, I mean, we do what we do uh all for God's glory, of course, but it's nice to have a little affirmation story from that. Uh, since yeah, yeah. since we've been talking this morning, Malachi, you, you mentioned your mission statement includes uh, delivering faith and inspiration. And you also mentioned during your um, original uh, job that you you knew that you were, you hoped that you would be uh, able to turn passion and a love for nonprofit um, into your job. How has that uh, how's that turned out, and how how has it in maybe in, had an impact on your faith life and how uh, mission and calling and vision how how does all of that encompass in your own personal faith journey? Well, I, I often joke that. Um, I've had more Catholic education than even the Pope because <laughs> I attended, you know, Catholic elementary school here in New York with the, um, sis, you know, the uh, um, Sisters of Charity uh, in high school. I went to Cathedral Prep High School, uh, and and most of the teachers there were priests of the Diocese of Brooklyn and Queens, um, and then, you know college, an MBA, and later a master's degree from Fordham University, a Catholic, a Jesuit institution. So I've got nearly 20 years of Catholic education. Um, and uh, while I was in, while we lived in Texas, I taught CCD um, at Good Shepherd Catholic Community uh, in Colleyville, Texas. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think I've got a strong uh, Catholic background. Um, and my parents were from both from Ireland, and my mother had a very, very strong faith. And, and, and so I always, you know, recognized the importance of faith in people's lives. 
Um, and then when I learned about Xavier Society, one, again, sort of taking a, uh, an analytical approach or a business approach, it's like, well, is this, is this a small organization with too narrow a focus, right? How, mm-hmm. how challenging will this be? And just as I got to know our patrons and how important um, the practice of their faith was to them, and not just, you know, reading, right, in Braille or listening to audio books, but using the mass propers to get to church and be active with their um, fellow parishioners. Um, In many cases, um, our patrons use the mass propers so that they can actively participate in mass as lectors. we do. Oh, wow, uh, that's amazing. Do, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, we do. Uh, we have a Saint Lucy Mass here in New York City on the Feast of Saint Lucy on December December 13th. the thirteenth. Lucy is is one of the patron saints of the of the blind. Um, and uh, the last couple of years, we've had it at Saint Francis Xavier Church down on Sixteenth Street. But for a few years uh, prior, we were at St. Patrick's Cathedral, the main cathedral here for the Archdiocese of New York, um, on Fifth Avenue across from Rockefeller Center on December 13th. So you can only imagine the madness and the congestion of that area at that time of year. Um, And I was so impressed my first year. I was so impressed by so many of our patrons because we actually it wasn't at the it wasn't on the main altar, but we we celebrated the St. Lucy Mass in the Lady Chapel, which is a smaller chapel just behind the the main altar. So we eventually outgrew that space, and that's why we ended up back at St. Francis Xavier Church. But the the thing that really amazed me um, and inspired me really was to see our patrons coming in from around the tri-state area here just to actively participate either in the congregation or as lectors um, using our Mass propers, and that was really inspirational. And then the main celebrant at that Mass for the last few years uh, is a priest, Father Jamie Dennis, uh, who's in Owensboro, Kentucky, and he comes up every year from Owensboro, Kentucky to be the main celebrant um, at the at the St. Lucy Mass. So, you know, it, it just really impressed me in terms of how important uh, people's faith is um, and, and having the ability uh, to practice it uh, as part of, you know, a larger community uh, is just so important. So, uh, you know, I realize that the, the work is, is very special and very important. Oh, that's amazing. Um, St. Lucy is a saint that's near and dear to my heart uh, my descendants are from Porgeri Alley Sicily who uh, my grandmother continued a devotion to her and on her feast day we would celebrate uh, by eating a grain cuccia in Italian because uh, at the at one time there was a famine in Italy and on St. Lucy's Feast Day, a ship came into the harbor loaded down with wheat, which if you're a farmer or know anything about it, there's no reason for a ship loaded down with wheat to come into the harbor. So they considered that a miracle. And mm. so St. Lucy um, has been near and dear to me my whole life. Did not like Cuchilla, but that's okay. Um, and St. Lucy is um, depicted in our my parish here is St. Anthony's, and uh, 
she's de- she has a statue uh, because of the Italian immigrants and their devotion to her. Uh, Maliki, we have about two minutes left. I wanted to give you an opportunity to list all of your contact information uh, so that anyone listening can contact you either as a patron or a donor. So if you would, repeat all of that contact information. Sure, sure. So again, Xavier Society for the Blind, our 800 number is 800-637-9193. Our website is XavierSocietyForTheBlind.org, and we're on Twitter and Facebook at Xavier Society. Um, and, and again, there are uh, lots of information about what we provide, how we provide it, um, lots of great uh, patron stories, and lots of easy ways to, to make a donation as well. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I've been fascinated to talk with you uh, both yesterday and today live on the radio. Uh, want to mention our listeners that we've been talking to Maliki Fallon with the Xavier Xavier Society for the Blind, lots of contact information to support them. We want to thank our listeners for joining us here at Red Sea Radio, and be blessed. <laughs>